This is Professor Allen, and welcome to The Quarter Bit. In every episode of this podcast, I will summarize, criticize, discuss, and review a single issue from my comic book collection, which I will select mostly at random. Any book from my entire comic collection is eligible, as long as I paid no more than 25 cents for it. Was the issue worth 25 cents? Was it a bargain at 25 cents? Or was it still overpriced? Stay tuned and find out. For the second episode in the quarter bin, this is the second of my two-part series of episodes honoring Superman's 75th birthday. I am looking at DC Comics Presents number 59, with a cover date of July 1983. DC Comics Presents number 59 had a cover price of 60 cents, meaning I acquired it at a decent enough 58% discount. The story, Ambush Bug 2, or just when he thought it was safe to start reading DC Comics Presents again, was scripted by Keith Giffen, with additional dialogue by Paul Levitz. Art was by Kurt Schaffenberger and Ben Oda. The issue starts with familiar narration. Faster than a speeding bullet, more powerful than a locomotive able to leap tall buildings with a single bound. Look! Up in the sky, it's a bird, it's a plane! I turn the first page. It's party time! The narrator has been ambush bug, the annoying green character who uses little teleporter bugs to pop around space. In his boredom, he decides to jump onto Superman's cape as the Man of Steel flies across the metropolis sky. Unfortunately, Superman is just entering the time stream as the big green bug latches onto him. Superman was on his way to the 40th century, but decides to drop ambush bug off in the 30th with some people he can trust but he learns that the Legion of Superheroes are off-world. Blast. I certainly can't bring this loon with me. That leaves only one alternative in 2983, and I hope it's not a big mistake. And with foreshadowing like that, we know nothing at all will go wrong. Ambushbug is dropped off with the Legion of Substitute Heroes. Polar Boy places him in a security bubble and assures Superman. He'll be perfectly safe and harmless here. Infectious Lass walks Porcupine Pete to the monitor room to begin their shift. They find Polar Boy beaten up and Ambush Bug gone. Superman returns to the time stream from his future errand, convinced that things with Ambush Bug will be fine. I really was much too paranoid, worrying about leaving him with the substitute heroes. I mean, they have a dumb name, but they are competent. Except that they're not competent, Ambush Bug has stolen a sky speeder, and as the Man of Tomorrow is about to grab the bug from out of the sky, Superman plunges headlong into a super fast growing plant. Well, Chlorophyll Kid's aim was just a little off. Meanwhile, Stone Boy has tracked Ambush Bug to the roof of a building and lunges at him. The bug pops away, sending the substitute over the ledge, heading straight into the ground. Only one chance. Turn my body to stone and hope I don't crack up completely. Fortunately, he does not crack up completely. Unfortunately, he lands upside down, up to his shoulders in the ground. Superman leaves Fire Lad and Chlorophyll Kid the task of figuring out how to remove Stone Boy from the street while he flies off after Ambush Bug. Superman wraps the pest up in his cape, but Ambush Bug pops away with the cape. Superman attempts to follow Ambush Bug but he's interrupted by a science police cruiser with the message that Chief Zendak would very much like to speak with the Man of Steel. Ambush Bug ties the cape onto a helpless one-eyed long-necked creature of some kind and encourages the being to fly. 
but he instead plunges toward the ground. Color Kid flies down and catches the being while Ambush Bug knocks Antenna Lad out of the air. Ambush Bug grabs the cape for himself, affixing it onto his back. He likes it in the 30th century. I'm going to have to stay here forever, wherever here is. Off in the distance, he sees the Superman Museum and decides to investigate. Meanwhile, Chief Zendak talks with Superman, Porcupine Pete, and Infectious Lass in his office at the Science Police HQ. There appears to be a certified lunatic using Metropolis as his padded cell. He seems to be making fools of my science police, not to mention present company, demonstrating all of his heroic virtue. By not throwing Chief Zendak directly into the sun, Superman defends his fellow heroes. Porcupine Pete assures the Chief, I promise we'll get him. Remember, the substitute heroes are supposed to go into action when the real Legion is away. We're going all out. We've even called in our new auxiliary. Auxiliary? Superman asks. Infectious Lass explains. Well, their, their heroes who weren't quite ready for membership in the substitutes yet. The meeting is broken up by a call, indicating that Ambush Bug has been limiting his activities to the Superman Museum. At the same time, Fire Lad and Chlorophyll Kid have yet to come up with a way of removing Stone Boy from out of the ground. Superman arrives at his museum, and Ambush Bug is glad to see him. Let's get down and boogie! But instead of boogieing, Superman chases him down a hallway where Porcupine Pete is ready to ambush Ambush Bug. But his timing is no better than Chlorophyll Kid's was 12 pages before, and he fires his little spines into Superman. Color Kid has a plan to catch Ambush Bug, and it involves Infectious Lass. Come on to him. Use your feminine wiles. Uh, I don't think I know how. That plan does not go well either. Ambush Bug sees a sign down an abandoned hallway that says, Do not enter. Of course he enters, and what he sees is an empty room, with nothing but a round black screen contraption sitting on a table. Investigating, the bug sees two buttons on top of the machine. One with a Do Not Push sign hovering above it. He pushes the button atop the Phantom Zone projector and pops away out of our dimension. He fell for it, Porcupine Pete marvels to the still-without-a-cape Superman. The only two signs in the whole museum still written in 20th century English, and he still fell for it. On the whole, Superman replies sagely, lunatics aren't your smartest criminals. Remind me to tell you how I've tricked Mr. Mixiet's Pitalik over the years. While the menace is in the Phantom Zone temporarily, Superman retrieves his cape and then clears the entire city of teleportation devices. As he says goodbye to the substitutes, he asks what happened to the rest of the team. Polar Boy scratches his head. Stone Boy, Chlorophyll, Kid, and Fire Lad haven't reported in yet. Wonder what happened to them? What's happened to them is that they have yet to come up with a way of removing Stone Boy from the ground. Maybe a crane? Chlorophyll Kid wonders. His head would snap off, Fire Lad rebukes him. Keep thinking! Hey everyone, Sean Engle here. And Strange Disembodied Voice here. Hey, it's good to hear from you. It's been a long time. How have you been? What have you been up to? Oh, not much. Working with other podcasters, palling around with Simon Cowell, prepping for the Mayan apocalypse. You know, the usual. Neat. Anyhow, uh, glad we got back together since the show, Just One of the Guys, is coming to a turning point, and since you were there at the beginning, I thought it'd be appropriate that you be here now. 
Ooh, are you finally changing formats and doing your epic coverage of the Al Milgram Opus US 1? Um, no, I'm gonna start coverage of the Kyle Rayner stories in Green Lantern. And that supposedly is more impressive than the trucker who can receive CD signals through a metal plate in his head? Undoubtedly. Plus, I'm still gonna be covering the ongoing saga of Guy Gardner. Ooh, will he be getting a metal plate in his head which allows him to receive CD signals? No, nothing quite that ridiculous. Although the stories will involve him getting alien DNA, becoming a living weapon, and punching Nazi dinosaurs. Seriously? Yep. So all of this, yet the epic tale of a trucker who's vying to avenge his death of his brother caused by a man who sold his soul to the devil for a satanic 18 healer is just too goofy? Precisely. <sighs> Whatever. So where can I find out about all these changes? Lots of places. For one, you can go to www.justoneoftheguys.libson.com to download the shows, check out the covers of the books, and leave comments on individual show postings. You can also find the show on iTunes just by searching for Just One of the Guys podcast, and you can leave a review there as well. So after you finish these books up, you'll cover US-1? Maybe. I've still got that Dallas Dynasty show with J. David Weeder to do. And Scott Gardner has approached me about doing an NFL Super Bowl podcast that he wanted to do in conjunction with the 25th anniversary of its release. It's come check it out every Friday at justoneoftheguys.libson.com. And we're back. DC Comics Presents was DC's Superman team-up book. Their Superman Brave and the Bold. It started in 1978, and although it started with an issue number one, it is the direct successor to Super Team Family in terms of DC's publishing. According to ComicBookDB.com, in the parlance of DC titles at this time, the word family universally implied a book with a high page count, often stocked with reprints. When the company saw the financial advantage of lowering the page count, even if it meant paying for original stories, they opted to cease publishing Super Team Family. That was after 15 issues, and they began immediately with a new title, DC Comics Presents. I had a bunch of these issues growing up. There were a handful of titles I subscribed to via DC's mail order system, and this was one of them. Now, that's not the best way of collecting issues for the long term, but it did provide a reliable way to make sure I didn't miss an issue. This was the era long before the direct market and pull lists. Most of my comics were bought at the local drugstore, and there was no reliable way of knowing what they would stock and when it would be delivered, etc. Let me talk about this issue in particular. First of all, full disclosure, I love Ambush Bug. I own both the four- and six-issue miniseries from the mid-'80s and the 1992 special. Maybe it was my age when I found this character, but somehow this imp worked for me in a way that Mr. Mixic Pitalik never worked. I like Batmite more than Mixie, for crying out loud. I even like Aquaman's personal pest, the water sprite Quisp, more than Mixie. Okay, I'm exaggerating on that last one. No one likes Quisp. Second of all, The Legion of Superheroes is one of my favorite titles of all time, and I don't even mind the substitutes, so this issue is right in my wheelhouse. Of course, there are specific reasons why I buy my comics, even when they're priced at only 25 cents, so the odds are pretty high I'm going to like a lot of these issues that I'll talk about in the podcast. Now, considering that this issue was selected to help celebrate Superman's 75th birthday, the birthday boy played third fiddle in this story to my taste. But that's part of the joy of team-up issues. They're not about making the lead character the lead character. They're about teaming them up 
and in this case with pretty silly, funny characters. Obviously, this issue has writer Keith Giffen stretching his humor muscles. For example, there's a scene early on where Superman asks Chlorophyll Kid about how Ambush Bug got loose from his cell. See, uh, Polar Boy was kind of embarrassed to admit that our only security cell was, well, broken. Superman asks, but, but then what exactly was that globe Polar Boy put Ambush Bug in? Uh, would you believe my aquarium tank? Rao, give me strength. Now, this aspect of Giffen's writing is most famously on display in his run in Justice League International, working with J.M.D. Mateus and Kevin McGuire. The start of JLI is about four years away. When this issue was published, Giffen was still best known for his work on the Legion, and of course for his creation of Ambush Bug, which debuted in this very title only seven issues before. So this story holds in tension these two aspects, the humor of Ambush Bug and the substitutes, and the inherent seriousness of Superman, or at least the inherent sincerity of Superman. But I think the story walks that line pretty well. Superman is never the butt of the joke he's never made fun of. That's what the substitutes are for. They get to be the butts of all the jokes. And the plot itself was strong. I liked using the Phantom Zone projector. But that was an interesting way of getting rid of Ambush Bug. It just seemed a less silly resolution than the twists and turns that Superman often goes through to rid himself of Mr. Mixius Pitalik. As I mentioned in the synopsis, I don't know that Superman would let himself be yelled at and called out by a science policeman, but that scene was saved by Superman's super patience and by the loyalty he showed by not tossing the substitutes under the bus or into the sun. A time travel story always has the same potential problem for me. If Superman can travel through time, why can't he return to the exact moment he left? Why does any time have to pass at all? Why does Ambush Bug need to be temporarily held by anyone? But, but it is less of a problem in this story than in many others, as Ambush Bug did escape really quickly from the substitutes. Superman could have returned ten seconds after he'd left and discovered Ambush Bug gone, and maybe five seconds. Probably the best way to think about the writing of this issue, if it's going to work for you, is how you feel about the Giffen Demetrius run of JLI. If you don't like that, you won't like this. I personally don't mind humor in my superhero books any more than I mind humor in my superhero movies. For example... Both The Avengers and The Dark Knight are good movies, but The Avengers is the far more rewatchable film of the two, and a lot of that is because of the humor in Avengers. This issue also gives me the opportunity to, to say something I might not be able to say often on the podcast, and that this is a complete story, a standalone. That was the nature of DC Comics Presents, where Superman teamed up with another partner every issue, but it's a nice experience to read a one-and-done story. Now, I've set rules for this podcast, and I guess I can break them at any point. If I ever pull part one of a two-parter, I guess there's nothing that would keep me from doing part two in the next episode, assuming part two also meets the 25-cent rule. I mean, I guess nothing except the podcast police. That's a scary thought. Being called before a secret tribunal of Adam Curry, Leo Laporte, and Michael Bailey? I, I don't want that. No, no, I, th- I don't want to tempt fate. I think I'm going to stick to the rules I've laid down for at least a few episodes. As I said in episode one, I won't spend much time on the podcast talking about art. That's just not what I read comics for, I read for story. But Schaffenberger and Oda's work does bear mention as they specifically draw this issue in the style of Joe Schuster. He, of course, is the original artist of The Man of Steel, one of Superman's co-creators. There are some great old-fashioned shots of Superman, especially profiles. There are some panels that are very reminiscent of that squinty-eyed hero who debuted way back in 1938. 
The Verdict on DC Comics Presents number 59, definitely worth 25 cents, a quarter bin bargain. But I acknowledge that because of the silliness, this book may not be for everyone. That wraps up my coverage of DC Comics Presents number 59, bringing episode 2 of the Quarter Bin Podcast to a close. In episode 3, actually moving to the random selection process, I'll be looking at John Sable Freelance number 44 from First Comics, cover dated February 1987. If you have any questions or comments about this issue or the podcast, feel free to contact me. Until next episode, I'm Professor Allen, and I'll see you in the Quarter Bin. The Quarterbin Podcast is part of the Relatively Geeky family of podcasts. Show notes and links are available at relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com, where the podcasts Uncovering the Bronze Age and Shortbox Showcase also make their home. Links to Facebook and Twitter are there as well. Feedback for the show is welcome at relativelygeeky at gmail.com. And if you like what we've got going here, please leave a review and a rating in iTunes. It'll help more people discover the show. Thanks again for listening. Professor! Professor.